I'm Michael Schulder. This episode of Wavemaker Conversations is designed to make you the smartest person in the room on Super Bowl Sunday. It is the annual Wavemaker edition of How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. Every play, you can assume there's some trickery involved in football, especially on the NFL level. Every play, the offense is trying to trick the defense, and the defense is trying to trick the offense. Joining me here in Atlanta, where some of the best sports writers have descended to watch the New England Patriots face the Los Angeles Rams in Super Bowl 53, is Therese Paler. The Rams might trick the Patriots, the Patriots might trick the Rams, but after listening to Therese Paler, they'll have a hard time tricking us. Therese Paler, welcome to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. Oh, hey, how's it going, Mike? I'm glad to be here, man. Why don't you just introduce yourself and give us your sort of abbreviated resume? Well, I'm a senior NFL writer for Yahoo Sports. I spent the previous 12 years at the Kansas City Star, where I covered a variety of things, including my last six years at the Star. I covered the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs as their beat writer. But now I'm with Yahoo covering the entire NFL, even though it seems like I'm covering still a lot of Chiefs because they're nationally relevant. They've got the league's best young quarterback and the league's best player, according to voters. It looks like he's going to be MVP. So I love covering football. If it wasn't covering football, I was fully prepared to be a football coach. I mean, that was my backup plan in college. So I'm very happy with the way my life has turned out. Grew up in Detroit, Michigan, playing high school football, wanted to play college football, just wasn't big enough to do it. So uh, writing about the sport has been kind of the next best thing. And it's obviously been awesome. You were not big enough to do it. How tall are you? I'm sitting right in front of you, but how tall are you exactly? 5'8". 5'8". This is the annual How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends Wavemaker Edition. And I mentioned to you my first guest on this type of episode was a number of years ago with Hall of Famer Nick Bonaconti, 5'11". Mm-hmm. And what he told me, I'm going to let the audience hear it. I understand that your college coach at Notre Dame told the pro recruiters that, no, this guy's not pro material. Is that true? What he said is, which is um, a a lot more poignant, is that I I would run through a brick wall, but the hole I would leave would be small. (laughs) Did you run through some walls at 5'8"? I didn't, and Nick Bonacane and I played different positions. So Nick was a linebacker. You know, he could really run a little bit. I was always a stocky guy. I'm still a big stocky guy. I just wasn't tall enough to play line in college. Did you learn stuff in high school that still stays with you now that helps you see the game oh, better? Yeah. What memories do you have from high school that enables you to watch a Super Bowl now and say, I just noticed something and nobody's mentioning it. Well, mainly it has to do with the offensive line play because I played that in the defensive line. So believe it or not, like some of the concepts they run, even in the NFL, aren't that different than basic high school concepts. My senior year, I played defensive line. On the defensive side of the ball, there are different like stunts and like schemes that the four defensive linemen who put their hand down on the ground, they'll go different places in an effort to confuse the offensive line after the ball is snapped. It's called running games. It's called running stunts. And a lot of those are pretty similar in the NFL. Like, they get more complicated, but the basic premise of them is the same. So when I see them, I'm like, oh, you know, that's an end tackle, end stunt. Like, I can see that. And then offensive line, specifically how you block certain running plays, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Like, in high school, we ran the zone blocking scheme, which is basically the fundamental running scheme of the Los Angeles Rams who are playing on Sunday. Look, theirs is way more complicated than ours was, but because I played both those positions, when I watch an offensive lineman step to his right 
at a certain angle, even from the television screen on the broadcast, I can see what kind of zone scheme they're trying to run. So it's helped that for three years, I kind of had my own training, even in high school, on how to like do some of these things because it allows me to see it. And it allows me to talk to the players in their own language, which I think they really appreciate. Because oftentimes, people just see alignment and get beat, and they're like, ah, man, he really got beat up there. A lot of times that's not necessarily the case. Like if a lineman ignores a guy, it's because he was taught to do so. And if the guy doesn't get picked up, that might be the running back's fault. So it's pretty helpful as far as helping to know where to put blame. Already, I want to notice these things in the game. It's hard for us viewers to keep our eyes off the quarterback. Right. Where is the ball? Follow the ball. And yet so much of the best stuff in football is not happening where the ball is. Absolutely. It's like when you'd mentioned the defense, mm-hmm. you know, running not for a particular reason except to confuse mm-hmm. the offensive line. How will I know when I'm watching the game if that was a trick or if they were running to get someone? Every play, you can assume there's some trickery involved in football, especially on the NFL level. Every play, the offense is trying to trick the defense and the defense is trying to trick the offense. It's hard if you're a casual fan not to just watch the quarterback. I challenge you if you get bored during the game. A lot of the more entertaining, enlightening things that happen around the game of football don't involve the quarterback. Watch the big guys up front. Watch how they're trying to get their job done. But let's start on the defensive side of the ball, right? If you want to see them attempt to trick the offense when they get down to the line of scrimmage and the quarterback's about to snap the ball, watch the pre-snap movement of the defense. Oftentimes you'll see right before the ball is snapped, somebody might move. A corner might start running back. A corner might move up and try to press somebody. You might see linebackers shift from gap to gap, all trying to confuse the quarterback because what the quarterback is doing is looking at how they're lining up and trying to figure out if this play they're about to call is going to work. And the quarterback, the best quarterbacks can tell because they've done enough tape work to see the defensive tendencies. So if they see you line up a certain way, they can say, okay, this might work here. And that's why the defenses do all that pre-snap movement. They're trying to reduce the amount of time quarterbacks have to look at what they're really trying to do, right? So that's one really good instance of like the game and the scheme plan. You know, offensively, those guys on defense, they're looking at those same formations that the offenses have run because they're trying to see if they're watching something they've looked at already. Because if they can see that a team is lined up in this same formation and 50% of the time they run it to this hole, then that gives you an advantage, right? So every play, there's some trickery involved. Often in the Super Bowl, you might say, so here's an example. 60% of the time when an offense lines up with three wide receivers in a certain way, they're going to run the ball up the middle. The defense, which has watched tape of the offense enough to know that's the case, will be like, all right, we're going to get ready to run. Maybe this time the offense would say, "Eh, we're going to do something a little different on that run. We're going to run it a little bit differently. Maybe we're going to run it outside. Maybe we're going to act like we're going to run and throw it instead. It's a constant game, which is why NFL coaches work 100-hour work weeks because you never feel like you can learn too much. There's only so much you can learn from the tape. We know that in life. Right. Some of it has got to be the situational awareness that you get mm-hmm. from playing game after game on the field. Right. There is a wide disparity in on-the-field experience Huge. between the two coaches and the two quarterbacks. 
tell me how you think that plays and how that might play out yeah, in this Super Bowl. Yeah, that's a great point. So Bill Belichick, 67 years old. You know, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. He coaches the New England Patriots. And that's saying a lot because there have been some great coaches in the NFL. But he is the greatest of all time. He's 67. He's done this for a long time. His quarterback is Tom Brady, who is the greatest quarterback of all time. Tom Brady is playing in his 19th season, about to be 20. Like he's 20 seasons in the NFL, Tom Brady's been doing it. So that's a lot of accumulated knowledge. Basically at the point where you really can't fool these guys because they've seen everything, basically. On the other hand, you've got the Los Angeles Rams, who are led by a bona fide genius in Sean McVay, who's only 33 years old. He's a 33-year-old head coach in the NFL, and he's one of the five best coaches in the NFL. Now, you ask how in the world that can happen. Everybody looks back at their 20s like, God, I really didn't know what I was doing. Or most people look back at it like that. So how can a guy have navigated his 20s to end up being the head coach of an NFL team and being one of the best? Well, in a way, it was almost kind of he was built for the game. Sean McVay has spent his whole life around the game of football. When he was a star high school player, he played in college. And football runs in his blood. His grandfather was John McVay, who was an executive with the San Francisco 49ers. So the football runs in his blood, and he is obsessed with the game of football. There are very few coaches in the NFL that can outwork him. I mean, this is a guy who gets to the office at 4 o'clock every day. Also, he has an unbelievable memory. He has a photographic memory. Like, he, he knows. When you tell him something, he remembers names. I've interviewed him twice before. He just remembers your name. Like, this stuff matters because oftentimes in the NFL game, you'll see a team line up, the other team line up, and you'll say, hmm, this reminds me of when they did this or this. I wonder if this is going to come. So it helps him on game day kind of know how to attack teams because he calls the offensive plays. So there is a huge uh, – And by the way, tell us that again for the average viewer. He calls the offensive plays – Play by play? Mm -hmm. or yeah. And how does he communicate that with the quarterback? He calls it into his helmet. They actually have a little radio in the quarterback's helmet and a microphone. So he can speak when to When did the, that start? Oh, God, years ago. That's an established thing. But the trick is the communication goes out with 15 seconds left in the play clock. So you can't, like, talk to the quarterback as the play is going on. You can only use it to tell him the play you want called. And they literally cut it off 15 seconds yes, before the they sure the do. So with 15 seconds left on the play clock, they cut it off. So you got to get that play into the quarterback yeah, by then. But the play clock's 40 seconds. So when it starts, 40 seconds, boom, then a quarterback can be like, okay, okay, Jared, here's where we're going to go. Left, right, Z, 52, Delta, X, Smoke, Y, Choice. But just what you said there, and this isn't the first time it's hit me, but there is so much mental processing that oh, has God, to yes. go on in football and – you know, you got to hope you have the smartest bunch of guys on your team, right? Well, here's the thing. They simplified a little bit in the sense that those guys hear that whole play call, but they're only listening for one part. So the quarterback has to be smart to repeat a 20-word play call, and there's a zillion combinations of them. He's the guy that's got to remember it. The players are just looking for X choice. Like, that's his position. They're listening for, like, four words out of 20. But it also depends kind of on the system you run to. But in general, we're speaking generally, that's pretty much how that works. So now come back to me because this idea of age and experience on the field yeah. is fascinating to me. So you think L.A.'s coach somehow has compensated for his lack of experience on the field with this brilliant brain and mm -hmm. growing up with it. Mm -hmm. What about the quarterbacks? Yeah, so Jared Goff is 24 years old compared to Tom Brady, who's 41. 
Brady has seen everything. And golf is not the player Tom Brady is in the sense that some quarterbacks are really gifted with the ability to make second reaction throws. And that is a really complicated way of saying, like, when things break down, they are unbelievable at making something happen anyway. That's what the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback is like, Patrick Mahomes. In the first half of the AFC Championship game, which was between the Patriots and the Chiefs, Bill Belichick's defensive game plan and Brian Flores, their game plan was genius enough that they shut out the Chiefs, which is something that hadn't happened in like six years in the first half. It was a brilliant game plan that they used. Their problem was they ended up giving up 31 points in the second half to the Chiefs because their quarterback is unbelievable at making something happen. I don't think that the Rams quarterback is nearly as good at that as the Chiefs quarterback is. And if you're a Rams fan, you have to worry about that because I know that the game plan for the Patriots is going to be really good and he's going to have to make some plays. Now, the thing is that he's 24 years old. He's only been in the league three years or whatever. So he's seen stuff, but he hasn't seen what Brady has from 20. So most of the big plays that the Rams quarterback, Goff, Jared Goff, throws are ones designed by his brilliant offensive coach. Most of those big plays that they throw are because they got schemed up by the coach. If you're a Rams fan, you need to hope that the coach is brilliant enough to help kind of overcome some of this experience gap because you know that the Patriots' defense is going to be on point. They're going to know kind of what they want to do. But the beautiful thing about football is this. The Rams could still win. All they have to do is get, like, the right breaks or golf has to pull a few great plays out of nowhere and they can win the game. That's the beautiful thing about football. Like, there's a saying... It's called Any Given Sunday. Most people just know of the movie, but that's a real thing because anything can happen on any Sunday. A team losing, a team winning, a player getting hurt, some milestone being broken, and that's really a beauty of football. We're both in Atlanta now. You got your ear to the ground. You're listening around. You've seen the tapes. You've seen the games. You're a Kansas City guy. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything, maybe even in that last game against Kansas City, and the fact that you were able to say that without choking up is really impressive. I, by the way, <laughs> that would have been sweet to see Kansas City here for yeah, you. Yeah, that would but, have been something, right. But did you see anything in the way L.A. played Kansas City that makes you want to look for something and that'll tell you, hmm, this is happening, this is a good sign or a bad sign for L.A.? So what the Patriots did to slow down the Chiefs was they – brought a lot of pressure on the quarterback using the games and the stunts that I talked about earlier with a defensive lineman going to different places after the ball is snapped. They used a lot of that, and they, they brought more blitzers than the Chiefs could block. They brought more defensive players after the quarterback than the Chiefs could block. The Rams quarterback's not even as mobile as the Chiefs quarterback, so I don't know how he's going to evade some of that, but it's possible. And my thing is I'm going to look to see how the Rams pick up the blitz I do think the Rams' offensive line, the players charged with protecting their court, is better than the Chiefs, so they might do a better job picking it up. In fact, they probably will, okay? One thing that the Patriots did against the Chiefs that was really effective was they pressed at the line of scrimmage. So you know you've got receivers and cornerbacks lined up against them. Well, within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage, the defensive players can touch and hit the receivers and try and get them off course. The Patriots are really good at that, right? I think that that's something to keep an eye on because if they can disrupt the receivers, they can disrupt the timing of some of the scheme throws that their brilliant coach is going to try to call and use to score. And I think that if I'm a Rams fan, what I want to see is how the five guys up front 
in front of their quarterback, how they seem to be doing protecting him, number one. And then if I'm not looking at the quarterback, look at the receivers and see if they're getting off the line of scrimmage fairly clean without being hit. Because if they're being hit and disrupted, you're going to start seeing incompletions because the timing of the plays are disrupted. That's where it gets beyond the mind game. That is just pure physical contact. Yes. Can you throw the other team off their game yep. through contact? Right, right. And, I mean, football is that like every play. But, like, in that specific instance, like, yeah, that's a really good thing to look for if you're bored during the game and you want to see, okay, like, what else is happening in this play? There are 10 other guys who have to do their jobs. So speaking of the 10 other guys, the center. I've been obsessed with the center for years. And then I got the opportunity to interview Bill Curry for one of these specials, a Super Bowl center under Vince Lombardi. Mm -hmm. And he talked about a trick he used to do with center. You ever hear the white knuckle trick? <laughs> what is that? I knew uh, that those really smart middle linebackers were watching my feet, my hands, even my knuckles. When the center's knuckles turn white, that means he's about to snap the ball. So <laughs> naturally, I would get in the wrong stance about half the time, and I would do a little white knuckle, and people would jump, and then they'd start accusing me of drawing them off sides, and I would just stand there looking as innocent as possible because all I did was make my knuckles turn white by slightly gripping the ball. That's good. So if we want to keep our eyes on the two centers, do you have any feelings about these two centers? Well, what you're going to see is that when they get to the line of scrimmage, the quarterback is in charge of figuring out what's happening. They're in charge of, like, deciphering what the defense is doing to see if the play they call is going to work. But you know who helps them do it? The center. And together, they work together to figure out how they're going to block this running play or how they're going to protect this passing play. And one thing that you can listen for, too, is the middle linebacker, the Mike linebacker. The reason it's important to identify the Mike, and they do this basically every play, is because that's going to set how they're going to block this whether it's a run or a pass. So like Jared Goff will walk to the line of scrimmage and say, you'd hear this on TV. Let's say this is just a traditional, regular play. No trickery for the defense. Number 59 is in the middle of the defense, right where he's supposed to be. Goff will walk up and say, 59 is the mic, 59 is the mic. And the lineman would be like, all right, we know that. Inside they're like, okay, that means that we're gonna double team this guy to get to this guy. And that's how they set their protections. So you're gonna hear that. I was reading your latest piece on Yahoo Sports. What's that URL to find your work? Oh, yeah, sports.yahoo.com. And you were talking about, and this is going away from the Super Bowl a little bit, but your piece today, why the Chiefs' Andy Reid, their head coach, is comfortable staking his legacy on Steve, what's his name? Spagnolo. Steve Spagnolo. So the Chiefs, they missed getting into the Super Bowl by one defensive stop. Basically. And now they're getting a new defensive coach. And this is how we can wrap it up because this comes back to the age issue. Because mm -hmm. I'm reading you, and this is a quote, they'll all talk about his age. This is the new defensive head coach. They'll all talk about his age, 59, and how he has made a lot of money during a career that included three seasons as an NFL head coach, making some wonder if he'll grind the same way as a young first-time coordinator would. He's 59, and mm -hmm. they're questioning whether he'll grind the same way a young first-time coordinator would. I'm 59. That pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> I can well, grind. I can grind. Do you want to? That's the thing. Ah. See, that's the thing. Steve Spagnuolo is a millionaire many times over at this point. Oftentimes what you find is that unless somebody really loves the game of football, 
The coaching hours are ridiculous. Again, 100 hour weeks, 120. That's a lot. And someone like Belichick, who's 67, I guess you could say that about two, but his life is football. So when you're a little older, like they're going to question whether or not you want to put those 120 hour weeks in there unless you really love the game. It sounds like Spagnolo does, but oftentimes you find like first time defensive coordinators who are 35 or 40 or 40. They have a lot more to prove. The issue of grinding really isn't one for them often because they're trying to be a head coach where they can make that kind of millionaire money. That's not like a rule. It's just a thought sometimes. So, Therese Peller, how old are you? 35. Are you grinding? All the way. Yes, definitely. But will I be grinding when I'm 65 or when I'm 60? Maybe because I love the game of football. But the chances of that happening for most people are maybe a little less. Let me ask you, who taught you? how to grind because people have a work ethic. They're either born with it. Sometimes right. it's a combination of nature and nurture. Mm -hmm. Where did you get your grind from? Oh, my parents, because I grew up in the inner city in Detroit. My mom went to Jerome Bettis' high school. So, you know, both of my parents worked really hard. Wait, should I know that high school? McKenzie High School is where Jerome Bettis went. Jerome Bettis is a, one of the most famous Detroit athletes of all time plus he's a hall of famer he's a hall of fame running back so most people kind of know jerome bettis you know they know he's from detroit well that was the high school he's from. i went to a different i was able to go to jesuit high school ud jesuit and my parents worked their butts off what, what did they me do an opportunity well my mom worked for the city of detroit she was a manager for like a neighborhood city hall it was basically an institution the city put in place so that residents could have services done on their property so if they needed somebody to plow the snow in the streets so she ran one of those and my dad is a civil engineer who became upper management in a civil engineering companies without having a college degree so they both taught me the importance of hard work and I was the first person in my family to go to college I went to Howard University I'm still very proud of that and I got hired out of college I got hired out of Howard I had an internship offer and one job offer, so I took the job offer. <laughs> but to just even get those, I sent out like 75 resumes and cover letters, and I got two back. So, like, I understand the importance of grinding away. And, you know, I worked my butt off at the Star. I spent five years covering high schools before I got an opportunity to cover colleges for a year and a half. And then I got promoted again to the NFL. So hard work has always kind of been a part of my life. I saw what it's done for me. I saw what it's done for my family, and it's given us all a better opportunity to have a better life. So to me, I respect coaches because I know the hours that they put in. In a lot of ways, I mean, I work pretty crazy hours too. Anything can happen. My phone could ring right now. I'll need to jump on a story. So I respect hard work. It's part of my ethos for sure. Well, Therese Paler, thank you for taking time out of your pretty crazy schedule to <laughs> speak with me on Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. Awesome. No, it was great. I appreciate it, man. You've been listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. If you find this podcast enriching, I hope you subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts. And if you love it, I hope you'll take a minute to convey that on the ratings and reviews section of the subscription page. You can also follow and subscribe on my website, wavemaker.me. Once you subscribe for free, the episodes are delivered automatically to your phone or computer. And then every traffic jam, every train ride, every flight becomes an opportunity to get smarter by listening to amazing people share the bounty of their wisdom and experience. Thanks to my producer, Lily Duran, who edited this episode. I'm Michael Shoulder. Thank you for listening to Wavemaker Conversations. Conversations.